Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Thank you so much, uh, worship band. I really appreciate you leading us this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, good to have you here this morning, and a, uh, a special welcome to all those who are here maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. Thank you so much for just um, putting us uh, as part of your uh, weekend plans. We are just thrilled that you would be here uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Donald, and I'm one of the pastors. Listen, we are only 15 days away from Christmas. Does that cause panic or just sheer excitement? <laughs> You know, I've, uh, I've been praying, we have been praying as a staff that, uh, that over the holidays, over this season, that you would have the opportunity to spend some really good time with your family and uh, with your dear friends. But I also realize that this season for some, it is hard. It's filled with some sadness. It's filled with a little bit of loneliness. And uh, I want you to know we are praying for you as well. And that's what I love about this church. There is a sense of family and we care for each other. So uh, you are in our, our thoughts and prayers as well. Well, I, um, I did something this weekend that um, I'm not too sure I should have. Um, somehow I was conned into, um, talked into playing ice hockey on Friday. And I actually haven't played in 10 years. And um, there's a reason for that. And, um, I've actually never played pickup hockey where I actually was officially the oldest person on the ice. And uh, when it was all said and done, uh, they didn't know they should call 911 or offer me a wheelchair or whatever. But so if you hear, if you see me this morning shuffling my feet, it's because I can't lift my legs up. Okay. Um, a little, a little sore this morning for sure. Well, listen, last week we began a brand new series called God Came Near. We're diving into this uh, subject of Jesus and Christmas. And for 11 months of the year, we're supposed to be politically correct and be very careful that we don't offend anybody by the name Jesus. But then for about a month on the calendar, Jesus explodes and he's everywhere. I mean, you're in your car and you turn on a, um, a radio station and all of a sudden you're saying, that, I think that song is about Jesus. You know, you're, you're in the mall and you go into a department store and you're like, are they singing about Jesus? You know, you uh, turn on the news and they're giving reports from, um, from Bethlehem. Uh, you go to a card shop and all of a sudden there's cards there with a manger scene and, and pictures of Jesus and the angels. I mean, speeches are being made about him. Songs are being written about him and sung about him. And there's symbols all over the world that re represent him. It really is the craziest time of the year these four to five weeks that we find ourselves in. And I said last week, I love that description that Tim Keller gives of Christmas. Christmas time is where God moves into a very bad neighborhood and begins rejuvenating it. I just love that picture. You know, God moves into the ghetto and begins renovation. What an incredible picture that is. And this week I have been reminded just how much Christmas contradicts everything that makes sense to us. I say that based on how we, you know, how we view relationships. We feel that um, our relationship with God and with people ought to be a particular way. But at Christmas time, all of our assumptions 
uh, are kind of thrown out the window. We're, we're confronted at every level. Everything that we assume to be true about relationships doesn't make sense at Christmas time. Because the fact is, Christmas makes no natural sense. Grace makes no natural sense. Just like the gospel. It really kind of makes no natural sense because we are conditional people. We live in a conditional world and we think our relationship with God also somehow is conditional. And the Christmas story demonstrates just how radically unconditional God's love is for us. See, Christmas is God meeting our rebellion with his um, rescue. Uh, Christmas is God meeting our sin with his salvation. God, uh, Christmas is God meeting our guilt with his grace. Christmas is God meeting our badness with his goodness. Christmas is God meeting our sadness with his joy. Christmas is, is God meeting our lies with his liberty. It just doesn't make sense when you look at it. The way God operates makes no sense. His intrusion to broken people who are living in a broken world makes no sense. And we've talked about that in the past, about how that, humanly speaking, doesn't make sense. And by nature, I mean, we know we're, we're sinners. Uh, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin, actually, because we're sinners. The Bible actually tells us that when we were born... Believe it or not, we're actually born as an enemy of God. And, and sin is what we do because, well, because sinners is who we are. And we come into this world actually as, as an enemy of God. We don't actually come into this world like morally neutral with God. We're not born into this world with this clean slate. We don't step onto the scene, the stage of history on God's good side. That's what's so weird. We're, we're actually an enemy of his. And so that's why when you study Christmas, you think, this just doesn't make sense that God would come for his enemies. And as I've been reading a lot, again, this season, the Christmas story, these last few weeks, I have been reminded of all these prophecies that were given a thousand years before Jesus was born. And, uh, and I'm pretty astonished, to be honest, I'm pretty astonished at myself that I don't get swept off of my feet every time I read those prophecies for what God has done. The fact that God came, like God came, like the designer, the creator of the universe came to earth. When I think about that, that should just sweep me off my, my feet every time. Time, I think about that, that God would actually come. In the book of Romans, uh, written by Paul, it says that while we were yet sinners, like while we were still enemies, God came up with this idea that he was going to come and die for us. It does not say that while we were doing pretty good, God kind of looked at it and thought, you know what, they're doing pretty good, I'm going to go down and meet them halfway. No, while we're at our worst, God gave his best. It has nothing to do with our merit. And can't we just say and agree that makes no sense? That is not natural thinking for that to happen. God comes as a baby and extends his love. 
I mean, God comes as a baby and extends his grace when we could do nothing in return. I mean, how does that make sense? It just doesn't. It would be natural to think that we have to do something to receive from God. I mean, that makes sense because we're conditional people. Don't I have to at least be on God's good side? I mean, don't I have to do at least my part before God does his part? That would make sense. But then I think to myself, what could we possibly do? What is it that we possibly could do to earn God's favor? I couldn't come up with anything because there isn't. That's why God, that's why God that is a strange thing, thing to think that um, this grace that God offers makes no demands. It just gives and it gives and it gives. And from our advantage point, it always seems to give to the wrong people. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who is Jesus giving to? He's always giving it to the wrong people. He is. You study it and you find out he gives to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the half-breeds, the adulterers, the sexually impure, the drunkards, the broken, the irreligious. And that's why the religious people are so mad. They're so mad because God's goodness is supposed to be reserved for those who do good. And for them it made no sense that God's goodness could be given to those who did bad. It was just totally didn't make sense. They just didn't get it. And the grace of God is, is radically generous. And that's why oftentimes you'll hear people refer to it as scandalous. The scandalous grace of God. It doesn't keep score. And it never expects a return for its investment. That is why it's so hard for people to accept this grace of God. Because the way that God does things is the opposite of the way we think. That's the reality. It's not natural to love without any conditions. And yet, that's what God does. Christmas, frankly, doesn't make sense. Grace doesn't make sense. Christmas is this invasion, and last week I said Christmas is like a confrontation, it's like that beachfront attack. This glorious invasion, this merciful intrusion embodied in Jesus Christ. Grace is love coming to you. Grace is love coming to you, to those who are actually unlovable. Grace is giving his best when we're actually at our worst. Makes no sense. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, or something that you can follow along with, maybe an electronic device, would you turn to the book of Philippians? The book of Philippians. And if the Bible is fairly new for you, I just want to let you know Philippians is in the second half of the Bible. It's the New Testament. And uh, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. This is where I always get confused. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I can, you're running here. Is there a doctor in the house or a nurse? I guess we have an emergency out in the foyer. Oh, they're on their way out now. Yep, they're on their way there now. In fact, why don't we just pray for that situation?
Father, we don't know what's happening out there, but there is a uh, medical emergency. We pray for those who have gone to help, give them some wisdom and understanding. I pray that even what's happening out there, there would be a sense that God's there and a comfort that only can come because of God's presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Philippians. I said that sometimes I get confused. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And so I remember as a little kid, someone said, Donald, always remember the General Electric Power Company. G-E-P-C. And I still use that to find where Philippians is. So, by the way, um, it's also in the front of your Bibles, your table of contents. If you don't know where Philippians is, it'll tell you the page number. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, I don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. I have some brand new ones here. I'll be more than willing to uh, give you one before you leave here this morning. So Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Now some of you are going to be very, very familiar with this passage, and others of you, it may be the first time that you've actually read this before. And that's what I love about Temple. See, because at this church, we have people that have been really kind of following God for most of their life. Then we have some people here that have been, you know, kind of following God for half of their life. Then we have some people here that are just kind of new on the journey with their relationship with Christ. And then there's other people here who are just kind of investigating this whole God thing. And we're just glad that you're here. We're glad that, that you're here. There is a place for you no matter where you are on the journey this morning. So Ephesians, or Philippians chapter two, it's also will be on the screen behind me. Starting at verse five, Philippians chapter two, verse five. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now I read that and immediately I wanna read another passage. I'm like, come on, this is so discouraging. Seriously? I've got to have the same attitude as Jesus? There's got to be a better passage to look at. Let's read. <laughs> Verse 6. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray again. Father, we pray now here in the next few minutes. Help us to see Jesus in this passage. Open our eyes, Lord. Unplug our ears. And for those who may be here this morning that just, just don't know Jesus, I pray, Lord, that this passage of Scripture would speak especially deep into their hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I read this passage of Scripture, it can only mean one thing. As I read through this over and over again, it, it can only mean one thing. And this is what it, I think it means. That things are really, really, really bad if God himself has to come. <laughs> like things have got to be really bad 
if it's going to require God to come. I mean, the head honcho, the main man, okay, when he comes, his arrival can only mean one thing. Things must be really, really bad. God himself, the creator of the cosmos, the designer of the galaxies, has to show up on the scenes. I mean, things must be really bad if it requires God to show up. Things must be so messed up that it required God to come and clean up the mess. This passage tells us, obviously, a couple things. It tells us that we are broken people who have no way of fixing the problem that needs to be fixed. And by the way, I feel like I'm pretty ingenious at times. I can fix a lot of things. You know, give me a little bit of duct tape, a little bit of DW40, I can fix pretty well any of my problems, right? In fact, you know, Pastor Glenn was uh, stopped by my house here just recently and he was checking his oil at the house and oh, he was low on oil. So I said, well, hey, I have a five qu quarts of a bucket container there of oil, I'll just give you some. And I couldn't find my funnel anywhere. Like, where is my funnel? And then I went, like, hey, I got a Zachary knife, I got a Diet Coke bottle, cut that thing in half, flip it upside down, and I got a funnel. I'm like MacGyver, like it's amazing. <laughs> I can fix a lot of my problems. However, there are some of my problems that are so messed up that it took God himself to come and fix it. It took God himself to show up on the scenes. And his arrival tells us things must be really bad that it would take God showing up but it also signifies that if God shows up things are going to be set right things will be set right when God shows up when God comes near when God arrives on the scenes it says things are bad but things are going to be fixed the mess is going to be cleaned up what has been broken will be fixed. But here's what I see as the main problem. The core of the issue, the crux of the matter is we just don't think we're that bad. As bad as they may be, they're not too big for us to be able to handle. You know, one pastor said, and I, I believe this to be true, that. Um, some people believe that God arriving on the scene is literally a, a divine overreaction. You know, sometimes teens, they look, you know, they'll say their parents are overreacting about something. Or sometimes a parent will look at their child and be like, you're overreacting. Well, some people believe that really God showing up on the scene is really a divine overreaction because things really aren't that bad. They're not that bad. The thing is, I'm not just talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about people like you and me who are inside the church. Because sometimes we delude ourselves with our own self-sufficiency. Theologically, I know it's a big word, theologically, I can say, you know, I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. I'm bad. But I don't often believe it. That's the thing. You know, it's hard to believe that self-sufficient sinners like you and me are so desperate that God himself had to come and clean up the mess to fix up the things, to save us, to rescue us, to set us free. I mean, seriously, God had to come. 
Obviously, there are a few things that maybe needed help. But God coming near? Come on. It's a divine overreaction. It's not that bad because I'm not that bad. Jesus coming to earth. God coming near. The incarnation sometimes fails to sweep us off our feet because we really don't think it was necessary for God himself to show up. Most of us just think we're really not that bad. But if we knew just how desperate we really were, we could unapologetically be clinging to God's grace, that scandalous nature of God's grace. But we look at ourselves, and we look pretty good. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, I'm in my office, and I decide I'm going to send two texts to my sisters. So I send two texts. Hey, I just want to let you know, hey, your big brother, hey, I really love you. You mean a lot. And I, you know, flowered it up a little bit, and I thought, pretty good. Pretty awesome brother. Not many older brothers probably send texts like that to their younger sisters. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to outdo myself. I'm going to send two texts to my brothers-in-law. And I told them how much I appreciate it, how much I appreciate how they treat my sisters. And uh, I thought, eh, I'm pretty good. Whenever I do something selfless, I think I'm a pretty good guy. I remember one time, I thought, you know, I'm going to send a text to my mom. And uh, the text, all it was saying was, you know, I'm really thankful that God gave you as my mom. Thank you for loving me, something like that. And, and I sent the text, and she was driving, and she couldn't read the text, but she recognized the tone of the text. It was from me. So she asked the person next to her, oh, that's Donald. Maybe he needs something. Can you just read the text? I'm like, ching, ching, ching. Two people now know I'm a good guy. <laughs> like our neighbor, Debbie, she knows what kind of guy I am. Listen, even my selfless acts are tainted. And just when I start believing my own press, I go and I read Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, I realize how high God's standards are. See, I think I'm pretty good because I haven't murdered anybody. But then Jesus says, but if you hate your brother, well, then you're guilty of murdering your heart. Like, I think, you know, us guys, we think we're pretty good because we haven't slept with our neighbor's wife. But Jesus says, hey, if you actually lust it, you have committed adultery in your heart. And that's when I realized, I, I just can't keep God's standards. I can't. I thought I could, but I, I can't. And this passage tells us that God came, but it also tells us how he came. And it's very odd. It's very different how you and I would think. See, in this passage, God arrives on the scene very differently than maybe you and I would arrive. I mean, maybe you and I would have come on a, a bolt of lightning, right? But Jesus comes in weakness, not in strength. And then Jesus came to die, not to kill. 
And he came to give, not to take. He came to serve rather than be served. You know, some of you may remember the passage of Scripture where the Romans have come to, to arrest Jesus. And the apostle Peter grabs a sword and he's swinging around because he is going to defend Jesus. And, and he takes the ear off of one of the soldiers. And Jesus, stop, 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 Peter, Peter, stop. And, and Jesus, you know, does a miraculous thing. He picks up the ear and he puts it on the side of the face and he heals the man. And, and really, Jesus is basically saying, Peter, this war will not be won by killing this war is going to be won by dying. Right here, the upside-down nature of how God does business. Philippians chapter 2 does not paint us this picture of this great, conquering, commanding leader like how we think of leaders in Canada. I mean, if I were God, and you can be thankful that I'm not, but if I were God... And I had created a group of people that rebelled against me. Let me tell you, my arrival would have impressed a lot of people when I arrived. Everybody would have gone, whoa, that man is serious. We better do what he says. By coming, though, as a baby in a manger, he defines victory as giving not taking. Our win comes at a loss. In verse 6, it tells us that Jesus, he was God, but he didn't have to prove that he was God. And that's why he was killed. He didn't think or they didn't think he was anyone of great importance. I mean, look at him. That's why they killed him. People were looking for a different kind of guy. We're looking for someone who can win a war. We're looking for someone who can overpower the Roman Empire. Uh, see, the Jewish people, when they read the Old Testament, they read it as though the whole thing was only about them. And that this leader was going to come on a white horse, not a donkey. And yet we read his life, this baby who was actually born in the shadow of a cross. And he was beaten and bruised and broken and bloody and naked and hanging on the cross, humiliated. And for some, that was a divine letdown. You call yourself God, look at you up there. They were expecting a CEO, a military commander, uh, some high-ranking government official who would restore them to their prominence. They weren't looking for a baby. And they were disappointed that God would take such a, a lowly form. They were disappointed that he'd be hanging out with a social outcast the spiritual riffraff. God was for them and for other people a spiritual disappointment. 
John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist question. It says that John sent some of his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one? Like, are you the one that we're supposed to be following? Or should we follow another? Because even John the Baptist, it didn't fit his description of what Jesus was supposed to be like. He wasn't even confused by it. It's shocking that, Jesus, that God came. It's absolutely shocking that God came. But it's just as shocking as how he came. As a baby. Jesus, who possessed everything, became nothing. So we who had nothing could possess everything. If you are in Christ this morning, Everything you will ever need, you possess because of in Christ. Because Jesus paid it all. The debt you owed as an enemy of God, the debt that I owed, Jesus paid. And the good news of these verses is that God came near, not because we did it right, but because we did it wrong. And sometimes we get that backwards. This whole idea that we can meet God halfway because we're doing some good and then he'll come and join us the rest of the way, honestly, I feel it's quite ludicrous to think about that. That somehow I can meet God halfway. And that's why there's so many people that find themselves on the treadmill of performance. I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. And if I do enough, I'll do my part and then God will meet me halfway. That's what makes sense. Can we just be honest? That makes sense. I do my part, then God will come along and do his part. I have to at least do my part. That's our natural way of thinking. But God came for the desperate, not the righteous. God came for the sick, not the healthy. And that doesn't mean there's two groups of people. It doesn't mean, well, there's the really good righteous people. God didn't have to come for them. He actually only had to come for those desperate people, those real sinners. God didn't have to come for the healthy. I mean, they're looking after themselves. He just came for the sick. No, it's not saying there's two groups of people. There's just a group of people who recognize how desperate they are. And there's others who are blinded by their own reality. When we realize just how desperate we are, we have this deep sense of gratitude. When we realize how desperate we are and that God came near, we are swept off our feet. We are left speechless when we recognize that. The Bible says that those who have been forgiven a lot, love a lot. And those who have been forgiven little, love little. It's only when we see ourselves as desperate people will we be swept off our feet of this season. That God, that God came near. That God himself to rescue us listen God really did move into a bad neighborhood and he has been renovating 
one life after another. And that's really what Christmas is all about. God coming near to rescue us. That's Christmas. And that's what we celebrate this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage that paints an incredible picture of who Jesus is. It tells us that he's God, and it tells us how God came, which is so not natural for us. It just is not the way we think. And so, Lord, when we, when we take a, a close look at what God did for us, I pray that it really would sweep us off our feet. Lord, for those who are here this morning, maybe uh, they have been here for a while. Maybe this is their first time, and they're just kind of checking out this whole God thing. I pray, Lord, that down deep in their heart and soul, God, that you would speak and help them understand what you did for them. You came to rescue people. And so, Lord, we would pray that today there would be those who would just say, God, I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could fix myself, but I can't. I just can't. And I pray, God, that they would surrender their lives to you this morning. That as we enter this Christmas season that we find ourselves in, that this Christmas would be far different than any other Christmas they've ever experienced. Because they're going to go from just knowing things about God, but actually knowing God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.